0: Okay, let's get started. Hey, my name is Jack Skeels, and I've got some things that I want you to see. Welcome to the Art of Management podcast where I will help you see and understand the art of being an amazing manager. Me, I've been a researcher, professor, coach, award-winning entrepreneur, and over the last decade I've had the privilege of coaching thousands of people just like you. We're going to talk about estimates today. Yeah, that may sound like a pretty dry subject, especially on a beautiful Southern California summer day like it is while I'm recording this, But it's actually a story of drama, of betrayal, of hopes and dreams, human failure, and ultimately our confusion over how to manage knowledge workers, how to manage them, these people who do all the thinking for us. They are thinking machines, if you will. In episode 3.1, I talked to you about scientific management that birthed the idea that managers should manage with numbers to make sure... People were getting things done, if you will. And in episode 3.2, we talked about Theory X and Theory Y, where Theory X was sort of the scientific management approach and Theory Y was the other one. So we're going to roll these ideas together and see how they practically apply in this idea of how to measure things. Now, I'll do a little recap. We had a vignette with Angela and Josh in episode 3.2. Angela is a client services person and Josh is a designer. And Angela walks out of her account review meeting. She was meeting with the CFO and she feels like a failure. Her projects are, according to the CFO, they are out of control. She's had, She has overages of 10, 15, 20% every week. And she wonders to herself, she says, how hard is it? How hard is it that as as hard as I try, I can't get people to stick to the plan? And she walks up to Josh, who's at his desk, headphones on, deep in his work. He's sort of a repeat offender of her plans. Every week he seems to go over, but he's one of their most talented designers as well. She and Josh, in fact, had been friends. They started on the same day a few years ago and used to refer jokingly to being classmates of the, at the asylum, the place where they worked. But lately, things have been a lot more strained between them. Not as many laughs, if you will. And she goes over to Josh to talk about this project that she just got sort of beaten up about by the CFO. And she says, Last week, the Josh, the revisions to the design, they were planned at six hours and you came in at eight. How could that be? And Josh looks down at his desk and thinks about how to answer and says, uh, I, I don't know, really, I tried, uh, but hey, that, that's how long it took. Angela comes back with, I know how long it took. I just had the CFO reminding me of that one and another 10 plus pieces of work that all went over budget between you and the other designers. They stare at each other for a second and Angela continues, I'm just trying to figure out what I need to do for you to come in on budget, for everyone to come in on budget. (laughs) I just made that up saying it that way. Uh, Josh looks down again, somewhat ashamed and says, "Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on. I'm doing my best. Angela just shrugs and walks away. So was anyone made happy with this exchange? Remember this exchange? Not even the CFO. Did anyone's performance improve from this conversation no and in fact josh is probably kind of pissed and certainly angela isn't happy and angela's trying to manage by numbers six and eight and they're in in these two numbers and the way angela is using them as a manager lies the problem the two numbers six and eight back after the break Back, I'm realizing this will be an episode filled with some famous names in management. The next one I'll mention is Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker, the famous management researcher and author, was famous for pointing out how much better managers could manage if only they used numbers. His message, in fact, paraphrased, was if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And that certainly is sympathetic with the the idea that managing is the business of numbers. And certainly Frederick Taylor, the scientific management guru, uh, felt that way. Now, what none of them told you is that because you're using a number, it doesn't mean that you're managing well. In fact, it can be quite the opposite. And what I'm suggesting is that the dialogue we just talked about with Angela, actually, she probably wasn't using, using the numbers correctly. There can be unintended consequences. This is a later episode. There can be severe unintended consequences to the way we use numbers. And usually when we measure things more often than not, we get things happening that we don't expect. Let's go back to the two numbers, six and eight. What's the difference between these two numbers aside from uh, the value two, you know, eight minus six, right? But six was the hoped for number, right? That was the number everyone was hoping for. And what was eight? If six was hoped for, eight was reality. Eight was that, that splash of cold water on your face or that strong coffee in the morning. <laughs> really, six was an estimate and eight was an actual. And you're used to this sort of thinking, like, why can't we get the actuals to match the estimates, right? Eight is the problem. But actually, the problem that Angela has is that the reality of the eight is pissing her off, if you will. Think about it. We're... It's not that the six was wrong, but I don't know, the six was valuable at some point in time. We had to figure out how, the, how much this might cost to do, how much time Josh might need, um, how much we should charge for it. The six had a lot of value at that time, right? And after the contract is signed, is the six still any good? This idea, a very, very key idea, a very simple thing and shows how biased we can be. So six hours versus eight hours, which one is a better number? I'm going to ask you to think about this. Which is a better number? Okay. I mean, like, which one is more true? Which is more truthful? Okay. It took eight hours to do the work. Period. That's it. That actual number, the actual eight, is factual. Good way to remember it. Actual is factual. But the six hours, where'd that come from? Hey, who knows? That was two months ago. It may have come from Angela. It may have come from a template. Hey, Josh may have even even said it two two years ago or something or two months ago. But the only truth in that number six is that back when we knew a lot less, it seemed like a good number. That may have been a long time ago. The estimate is ignorant. Of what? Who knows? But that's what ignorance looks like. If we agree that the actual is factual, we can't hide from the fact that it took Josh that long, and the estimate is ignorant. So why do managers compare the estimate and actual as if the actual is a mistake? Why do they think the actual is a mistake? Back in a second. back. Hey, that little uh, jingle kind of reminds me of uh, Stand By Me, right? That tune? Um, anyway, so hey, why do managers compare the estimate and actual as if the actual is a mistake? And there are a whole bunch of reasons, but one, one, I think the most important one is that we're hopeful creatures. We live. We live on hope. We're great hopers. The estimate is the embodiment of this way we operate as human beings. Okay? We'll even hear people talk about work that they're doing using this hopeful thing and even the hopeful word, listen for it. When, you, when you're when you hearing people talk about getting work done, they'll say things like, I'm hoping to get it done by Friday. We propel ourselves forward through life using hope. I don't know if you realize it, but think about this. If you woke in the mor- awoke in the morning and could not imagine a good reason, long-term or short-term, or, or, or something optimistic about getting out of bed and getting going, well, you just wouldn't move. Basically, 99.9% of us choose to get up, maybe even more than that, because we believe that somehow it's going to be better than staying in bed. We, we have the sense that, that maybe something better will happen. We're wired to be hopeful. We hope, you can think about it this way, we hope for a six every day or better, right? Maybe it'll come in at a five. And and this the estimate plays right into this. Even though we are we're so ignorant, we love the idea of hoping that it comes out a certain way. You'll see this in gambling, say roulette. Hey, let's put all, all our chips on number six and see what happens on the next spin. The actual, that eight, is the moment when the little ball falls into the slot that's not marked six. Okay. It's the reason to be upset. We have a natural cycle around that. It may not be all that far-fetched of a metaphor either, because actually the the probability that it's actually six, because we're just estimating, the probability is far less that it's six than it's some other number. Maybe it's five and a half, maybe it's six and a half. But what are the odds that Josh doing this set of knowledge work, design work, etc., will come in and write down that number? That number, where'd that come from? Weeks and months ago, someone figured it out. The best bet you can make, in fact, is that it's probably not six. The actual will not be six. And we'll dig into that more in a few minutes. So what does I'm hoping to get it done by Friday really mean? Probably means unless everything goes exactly as I hope, it won't be done by Friday. So when we come back, Let's see how this ties in with Taylorism and and some other really famous people as well. Welcome back. So back in our episode 3.1 about scientific management, we talked about Frederick Taylor, who who developed the concept for managing repetitive processes. It was called scientific management. Taylor said that managers could and should measure how quickly workers were doing their work against estimates. Now these estimates were very different. They They were actually called time standards. For example, Someone who's operating like a punch press, a machine that punches holes in metal, they should be able to punch, say, 240 pieces per hour, or that's one piece every 15 seconds. So time standards basically gave us a ruler against which we could judge how well people were operating the machine. But this is back when people were the limit to how fast machines can operate. And actually, they weren't a bad idea because you could tell, for example, whether someone was not getting a good job done, or maybe they weren't a good operator of the machine, or maybe they needed better techniques. It was actually kind of useful, useful or mostly so. But that was the days of factories with simple machines, etc. And also, people, by the way, if you had to do 240 pieces per hour for 10 hours a day, 2,400 pieces of punching the same hole... Well, you probably want to make sure that you're you're sort of motivated. And that was the other part, of course, of Taylor's model is that um, management enforcement using those numbers would make everyone better workers. If you haven't er heard episode 3.1, we go into that in more detail. But in our vignette, the CFO was talking to Angela with much the same logic. Why weren't the workers meeting the numbers as if this was a obvious number that anyone could, who's halfway competent, could hit 240 units per hour? These days, today, truly repetitive work is done almost solely by machine. We don't don't criticize how fast someone makes 40 copies of a page on a copier because it's the copier that does all the work, right? So... The work we do today is knowledge work. It's complex, subject to variability, uncertainty. In fact, probably Josh is not doing the same thing over and over. He's doing a different thing every time he touches the work. We're doing a different report. We're doing a different analysis. Whatever your knowledge work, it's a different client. It's a different case. It's a different problem. We don't live in Taylor's world. There is no time standard for work that is non-repetitive. There is no time standard for work that is knowledge work. Okay, we'll bring in another famous name, Taiichi Ono. We're going to talk about him a lot in a later episode. He was the architect of Japan's manufacturing revolution. He famously said something which I want you to think about, which is that failure is a better teacher than success. And how does that apply to the numbers six and eight in this little vignette that we're doing? Failure is a better teacher than success. Back in a minute. Welcome back. Taichi Ono says failure is a better teacher. Since the actual is factual, then we must have failed at estimation. The best managerial learning comes from looking backwards from the actual towards the estimate and beyond there to the assumptions. Why did we think it was going to be six? But this is hard to do. And the reason we don't do it naturally is because of two other problems one is called anchoring bias, and another is called false precision. Now, Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, again, two other heavyweight names that we'll mention multiple times. Uh, Kahneman won the Nobel Prize. One One of the pieces of work that they did early on was on this idea of anchoring bias, where the first number we hear influences our perception of all numbers after that. So hearing six first, if you will, hearing six first makes eight feel like a betrayal. But the ironic thing, actually, by the way, is because we want to actually do at least as well as six, right? We want to do six or less, right? The eight is especially a betrayal. If we look at it technically, if we estimated eight and the actual is six, we should be just as concerned. Why are we estimating bigger numbers, right? But again, the anchoring bias drives our perception that, that the eight is especially wrong, But in fact, six was just a number, almost a random number in some cases. And which makes it hard to cherish the eight for the the truth and the honesty that provides. Now, another thing that happens also is that the six is expressed as a point number, 6.0. Not 6.1, not 6.2, but just 6.0. But a real estimate, factoring in all the uncertainties of what the world will look like, a day, a month, or a year later when we actually do the work, would look more like something, well, it will likely take somewhere between four to eight hours for Josh to do it. Four to eight, if I'd said the estimate was four to eight and Josh did eight, there's no betrayal there. In fact, even if I said five to seven and Josh hit an eight, I'd still know Well, 5 to 7 was a range we thought we were going to get, and 8 really isn't that far from that range, so that's not too bad. But 6 is such a hard number. So let's go back and actually see how to do it better. What we're going to do is we're going to do that vignette again, but Angela's going to use the actual, the way you should as a manager, to understand what we did wrong with the estimate and the assumptions. Here we go. Angela and Josh sit down to discuss the latest variance report. Wow, says Angela. We keep getting these estimates wrong. Do you have any idea what we're missing? Josh pauses thoughtfully and then says, um, I think we're not factoring in that every time we think it's going to be simple, the client throws us a curveball. And also they keep on changing priorities. I lose work time just changing from one job to another. Angela smiles and says, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like we should be giving them change orders or something like that, finding some way to charge them and change the way we build them to encourage them to stay focused and let you stay focused, right? Josh nods and says, you know, and there, there are some other things that would be helpful, and we'll stop there. But what Angela's doing, you'll notice if you saw the theory, listen to the Theory X, Theory Y episode, Angela's actually gone to a theory why model where she's actually engaging Josh and she's doing it by shifting her use of the numbers. So theory why can actually just come from an embedded belief system about a better way to operate. That's one of your jobs as a manager to try to have and see different perspectives on things and use that to change the conversation. Quick break and we'll wrap up. (laughs) welcome back so in the end estimates seem like such simple things yet they can be very very dangerous and the use of them of those numbers can be in fact completely disabling to productivity and attitude inside of an organization talking about six and eight is definitely the job of managers but making sure you're talking about the right number in the right way definitely a key factor in being a great manager Now, I want to give you, I can't, I love this topic so much. I want to give you one last piece of strangeness. If we say that actually estimates come from ignorance, then here's a question. Who estimates better inside of an organization? There's really cool research on this. I mean, in a sense, who has less optimism in the estimate? And specifically, I'd say managers or workers, senior people or junior people. Who is more likely to not create false precision in what they tell you? Ironically, and strangely, workers estimate better. Junior people estimate better than senior people, especially if you help them understand what the uncertain things are. In fact, being ignorant makes for better ignorant estimates. People who think they know a lot actually make really bad estimates compared to people who don't think they know a lot. So be careful of that other trap in terms of estimates and actuals. As a manager, beware of numbers, let the actuals be factual, and the betrayal of the estimate will always be your teacher. Let's wrap with a couple of questions. Think about this. Every time you see an estimate being used, can you see the bias in the way they're handled? Like, for example, how it's displayed in a spreadsheet or the way people talk about it? Can you hear people's disappointment? Uh, There's nothing personal about it, but people actually behave as if it's personal affront or sadness or failure. Can you see how that colors responses and colors the conversation? And can you think about ways that you can sort of start doing range-based estimates? In other words, talk about the precision that you know you don't have in the estimate. How do we talk about the ignorance that's still embedded there? Well, that ends the episode. Let's close with our usual. If you're liking this, please let a few people know about it. Um, give us a shout out on social media. Better managing, the more of it we have out there, the happier people are. You can find, of course, helpful notes, information, supporting links on our cleverly named website, theartof.management. That's theartof.management. No .com on it. And also, we've just launched some supporting links, ongoing conversation, hopefully, if you join us, on LinkedIn on what's called a showcase page. That's linkedin.com showcases slash showcases slash the art of management, all one word. Until we meet again, be safe out there.